Well, my name is Austin. Uh, I'm on the team here uh, at the church. Uh, Trevor and his family are having the opportunity just to enjoy service, to worship, and to, um, to be a part of the service as just participants. Um, and if you're like me, you feel really honored and really grateful to serve at a church that Trevor's leading. You feel actively edified and built up week in and week out, sitting underneath Trevor's teaching. And so before we dive in, can we just show Trevor and his family honor for saying, man, thank you for serving. Thank you for teaching. For the rest of you this morning, you're stuck with me. Uh, but, but if this is your first time here this morning, uh, we're simply a church with just a mega vision for Los Angeles. Our hope and our dream and our prayers are for a Los Angeles where every single person no one excluded, has experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. And to help get that life change in the people, one of the things that we want to do is make a really big deal about Jesus. Jesus being the author, the perfecter, as Hebrews says it, the finisher of our faith. And we think that as we just kind of lean in and put Jesus at the center of everything that we do, our prayers, our worship, our community, our scripture reading, our confession, that we actually begin to, to grow in our faith. We begin to trust Jesus more. More of our allegiance is in Jesus. And the more that happens, he begins to shape us and to form us more and more into his image. And we think that when we take on the image of Christ, we actually begin to serve better. We serve in our homes better. We serve in the workplace better. We serve in the church and our local partners and even internationally better. And so this morning, we're, we're wrapping up essentially a, a two-week mini-series on how to read the Bible. And in today's book, 2 Timothy, uh, the author makes it clear to Timothy that this letter written to Timothy is for the purpose that Timothy might closely watch over his doctrine. In other words, closely watch and guard over the way he reads the scriptures. Closely watch and guard over the way he teaches and communicates the scriptures. In Paul's previous letter to Timothy, in Timothy, the first letter, uh, he gives this kind of same instruction, and then he writes this shorter letter to Timothy, and he just doubles down on it. In Timothy's culture, where he's pastoring a, a church, it's surrounded by competing philosophies, competing religions, uh, competing on ideas on what is the best way to live. And as these competing worldviews are pressing down in on the church, Paul doubles down on his instruction to Timothy. Don't, don't let those things infiltrate the church, but guard and watch over your doctrine. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, whether you have a paper Bible or a smart device Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. This morning we're going to see Paul talk about how we ought to read God's word in three ways. The first way is we ought to read God's word as exalted. In other words, there is something very particular very unique and very authoritative about the scriptures in which it stands above any other writing past, present, or future. 
Second, that we ought to read the Bible expecting it to be effective in us, changing us, shaping us, adjusting our orientation. And finally, we ought to come to the Bible reading it to be equipped to serve others, that the scriptures would be effective in us and the scriptures would be effective through us. But I, w- I want to start with this. We've just kind of come out of the holiday season. Many of us were traveling. Many of us were traveling on planes. Many of us were not traveling on Southwest planes. Uh, but but I, am, I, I tend to be a Southwest flyer just in general. And one of the, the beauties of Southwest is the opportunity to kind of pick your seat. If you're lucky, you get an aisle seat. If you're doubly lucky, you get an exit row. Maybe you get a window. You're really hoping not to be able to go to the C boarding section because C is for center seat. Uh, and, and most people, when they fly, I've noticed um, they have pretty good sleeping posture on the plane. They sit there and everyone kind of knows. The idea is, you know, head back, eyes forward, do your best not to interrupt the folks next to you. But every once in a while, you just get next to a wild airplane sleeper. And they start with their head back. And then unfortunately, they slowly roll their head to the side. And as they're sleeping to the hum of the engine of the plane, they begin to breathe heavily inside of your ear. And you're thinking, man, when I can hear and I can smell your breath, you are too close. There's something about breath that is a bit signifying of being close to somebody. If you're close friends and you're sitting nearby at a coffee shop, you might pick up on their breath. If you're married and you're with your spouse, you might be sleeping next to each other in such a way that you pick up on their breath. Breath, if you can hear it and you can smell it, you're close to them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul talks about God's word a bit like God's breath. He says in verse 16, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's God's spirit. It's God's wind kind of coming off the pages towards us. Notice when Paul talks about it, he says, it's all of Scripture. It's not just the Torah, the first five books. It's not just the historical books. It's not just the wisdom books. It's not just the prophetic books. It's not just the gospels that may begin to be circulating. He says all of scripture. It's this total, all-encompassing idea that every word that's been written in scripture is God's breath to us. Nothing's left aside. I love the point Trevor made last week about the beauty of reading this kind of red-letter Bible idea. Now, there are some Bibles that you know, the words of Jesus are written in red, that they would pop out the page at us. And there have been some folks that have said, I'm not a Bible reader, I'm a red-letter Bible reader. And Trevor would say, well, if you're a red-letter Bible reader, you ought to be an all-Bible reader. Because Jesus read from the entire corpus of Scripture, connected all of his teachings back to the Old Testament. In other words, as 21st century believers, when we approach the scriptures, we love the gospels because it gives us such a clear picture of who Jesus is. And yet the letters that come after and the writings before are all connected to it. 
And so when we read the Bible, we take the entire corpus into account, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Paul says all of this is God's breath. I was kind of looking over my notes last night, sitting next to my space heater in my bedroom. It's a little chilly outside. And I thought to myself, man, the goal of a space heater is really to get as close to it as you can and stay there for as long as you can. If you're not close to it and you don't stay there long enough, it doesn't really do the trick. I thought, man, that, that feels very much like reading the scriptures in God's breath. When we read the Bible, we ought to come to it with a sense of, man, if I can get close enough to it and I can sit long enough with it, man, I'll begin to hear God's voice. I'll begin to feel his breath on my life. As we read through the scriptures and we read it for the purpose of feeling God's breath, being close to him, a part of that is reading the scriptures appropriately. In other words, taking various genres of scripture for what they are. I try and be a widespread reader. I try and read some biographies. I try and read some history. I try and read some fiction. I try and read some poetry. And whenever I kind of approach these different genres, I don't expect the poetry to be factual history. And I don't expect the fiction books that I read to read like poetry. In other words, it's important whenever you're reading any genre to take it for the genre that it is. And when we approach the scriptures as sacred, and we want God to breathe on our life through them, it's important that we see the genres for what they are. That we're reading the historical books, it's sacred because it's giving us an accurate account of history. When we're reading some of the poems of the early writers talking about God in this epic cosmic language and relating him to different things. God is like this or God is like that. We ought to approach that scripture as, man, this is poetry and God's breathing on me and giving me a better vision of who he is through this. When Paul's writing a letter, we ought to remember Paul's writing to people, not necessarily to us, but he's certainly writing for us through those letters. And so there's something about when we approach the scriptures and we want to get close to God's breath and we want to read it as sacred, it's important that we distinguish which of these books are giving us a historical account? Which of these books are giving us poetic accounts? Which of these books are teaching us about the actual life teachings and miracles of Jesus? And which of these books are letters that Paul is writing to specific people at specific times? In other words, the sacredness of Scripture is caught up in various genres of literature. And it's a good thing when we approach the Scriptures as such. So one of my questions for us this morning is, are you treating God's Word like a space heater? Are you trying to read it close enough and long enough to catch His breath, to catch His wind on your life? To recap, we ought to read the Scriptures as exalted above any other text any other book, past, present, or future. We have to read the scriptures as God's very breath to us. It's exalted. The second thing Paul wants Timothy to know is God's word ought to be effective in our lives. He continues in verse 16. He says, all of scripture, again, it's useful. Useful meaning it's helpful. 
If you read the scriptures, it's actually advantageous to your life to know what God is actually like and how you ought to live in the world he's placed you in. Some translations go as far as say, man, all the scripture is profitable for us. All of scripture, and early church father says this, uh, in one way, shape, or form has something to teach us. So Paul says all of scripture is useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking, this idea of correcting, reorienting somebody. It's helpful for correcting and training, and watch this. He says, for training in righteousness. This is a theme we see all throughout Scripture. God is righteous, and we are not. But he's continually moving us along, trying to shape us more and more into his image that we might live more and more righteously. The idea of righteousness, it's really baked in the word. It's to live rightly, to live rightly before God, to live rightly before your kids, your spouse, and your parents, to live rightly before your neighbors. In other words, righteousness, is a, it's a correct orientation of your life, that God should be where he ought to be in your life, which is first and foremost and exalted, that he would be number one and everything else would begin to take its place and to take its shape. When I think about right orientation, I had the, a chance a couple years ago to take some sailing classes. And it was fun. We got to get out on the water a bit and, you know, kind of pick a spot on the horizon and, you know, hold the boat. And we'd be in the harbor, kind of spinning circles. And being on the water was great. But there was one lesson where it was actually in the classroom. And I thought, I've already graduated. I don't want to be in a classroom again. But we were in the classroom and the instructor was teaching us, hey, if you kind of lose your bearings, if you can get your latitude and longitude and you can, you can kind of put yourself on the map, and you can look at some of the, the scales on the right side and the scales at the top, and you can kind of draw the right lines and triangles, and you can actually pinpoint yourself, and you can give instructions to the mayday to come in to help you. In other words, the instructor was teaching us in this sailing class, hey, if you read the map correctly, and if you do the calculations properly, you can get a correct orientation of where you are. Not only where you are, but where you want to go. Where you want your life, your boat to head. And it reminded me of this old quote a buddy of mine used to wear on a shirt. He said, the man who is a slave to the compass has the freedom of the seas. In other words, if you don't, if you don't have that compass to kind of orient your life, you're going to get lost at sea. And that doesn't end well for anybody. But man, if you're a slave to that compass, if you're a slave to that map and you're a slave to that grid, any part of the sea is open to you. The same to some degree when we think about living rightly in the world. And the person that is a bondservant to Christ, the person, in other words, that uses the scriptures as their grid, as their map, as their latitude and longitude, has the actual possibility of being free in this world, free to be properly, rightly human, to be fully alive. Allowing the word to 
correct us, if you will. It actually frees us. It doesn't put us in bondage. So when, when we think about God's word correcting us, it's important to note a, a couple of things. First is, when we read the scriptures, God's word cannot mean today what it has never meant. In other words, again, the scriptures are written to other people, but now 2,000 years later, they're written for us. That when we read the scriptures, if we come before them and we're, we're reading the historical books or we're reading poetry or reading Paul's letters and we say, man, I, I feel like I got a word from the Lord and I feel like it means this. And you look at your local church and they say, ah, we don't see that. And you look at the last 2,000 years of church history and you're like, ah, nobody else saw that. And you look at the way Jesus interpreted the Old Testament, ah, Jesus didn't get that either. In other words, if you have a, a new idea about what Scripture says, you might have a bad idea about what Scripture says. <laughs> so it's important that as we allow the Scriptures to correct and rebuke our life, we have to read the Scriptures that what they said is what they're oftentimes still saying to us. The more gymnastics you have to do, the less likely you're going to arrive at the right spot. And so when we read the Scriptures, we ought to allow the Scriptures to continue to correct us. We ought to allow the scriptures to continue to rebuke us. Rebuke us and correct us in the way that we're organizing and living out our various relationships with our boss, with our employees and our coworkers. The way we're living out our relationship with our spouse, our husband, our wife. The way we're treating our parents and treating our kids. We ought to allow scripture to correct the way we're living out those relationships. We have to allow scripture to correct the way we think about, handle, and distribute money and resources. We have to allow scripture to inform us on sexuality and gender and how to live rightly in, in, in the presence and context of that. In other words, scripture should be correcting us. Because much like Timothy's church, being in a church in Santa Monica, there are all kinds of differing philosophies, religions, and worldviews that are pressing down in and around us. And one of our responsibilities when we come to the scripture is, God, some of this stuff is getting into me actively. Some of this stuff is getting into me passively. God, would you correct me? Correct my thinking. Correct my orientation. Even, God, would you rebuke me? In fact, rebuke is a, it's a spiritual discipline to go to a brother or sister and to rebuke them using God's word. So before you get you know, too fired up about this, two things to be aware of when it comes to scripture rebuking us and correcting us. Um, if you've never corrected or been corrected by God's word, it's time to begin to submit to some of that. If you've never had a brother or a sister come to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this trajectory, this tendency, this habit, this is what the scripture says. I just want to gently correct you, gently rebuke you. For some of you, you're in relationships where somebody is kind of actively has this habit, this trajectory, this tendency, and you're like, dude, I hope they figure you out at some point. You might be the way through the scriptures. They figure it out. Secondly is this. Um, 
If every moment you have an opportunity to correct and rebuke somebody, dude, chill out. <laughs> Not every moment's a correcting, rebuking moment. So take it easy. So a question for us this morning is, when we read the scriptures, are we reading it so it's orienting us rightly? Are we allowing it to correct us and to rebuke us? We ought to read the Bible as effective in us. And finally, this is the third and final thing. God's word ought to be effective through us. In other words, God's word ought to equip us. Paul continues writing to Timothy in verse 17. Um, All of this is true, that God's word is God's breath to us. All of this is true, that it's useful for training and teaching and rebuking and correcting so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, absolutely, 100% equipped for every single good work. In other words, God's word isn't just training us how to think, although it is. It ought to be training us how to act out into the world. I want to brag on Trevor for a second. There's a, um, a moment, this was early on in my time at Risen, and I'm trying to figure out my, my work rhythm, and I'm, I'm oftentimes taking the, uh, the train in to work, you know, train from where I live, to Union Station, 7th Street Metro, et cetera, et cetera. And one day I'm on the train, and I'm like, ah, I thought I plugged in my phone last night, but apparently I didn't. I'm kind of in the red. Let me pull out my computer and like plug it in my computer to charge just a little bit. So I pull out my computer, and I'm like looking for my cable to plug in my phone to my computer. I'm like, ah, I left my cable at home. I'm in the red. You, you kind of just don't want to be like using public transportation and not have your phone working. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this on like, you know, do not disturb slash low energy saving mode until I make it to work. And so I get into work and it's, it's you know, it's one of my first couple of weeks here. And I walk into Trevor's office and I say, hey, um, just a, a favor to ask. There's not a Target super nearby. Do you happen to have a, do you have a, a charger I could use? He's like, what kind of charger do you need? USB-C, micro USB-C, <laughs> Apple, iPod, Flash. I'm like, well, I mean, not much of a techie. I think it's like a, maybe it's a micro USB-C. And he, he pulls open his, it's such a slender bag, too. That's, it's like a Mary, it's, it's like, it's literally like a Mary Poppins bag. Man, he, he opens this thing, and he's got all kinds of chargers. But it's not just like the tech in his bag. It's like, it's like oh, do you need deodorant? Do you need chapstick? Do you need a book? Do you need a map? Like, whatever you need. Man, Trevor's got all, like, like, I've never seen anybody as equipped and prepared for any moment at any time as Trevor DeBinning. And so right now, if you're sitting there thinking, I kind of need something right now, come see Trevor after service. It's probably in his Mary Poppins bag. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't know, there's probably a Target nearby. We can go find one at the store. I say that to say, (laughs) Trevor's preparedness for any moment as it may present itself, God calls us to that same kind of preparedness. Thoroughly, completely, wholly equipped for whatever situation, whatever scenario comes at us, that we might be able to do good to people, to do good to our husband or wife, 
to do good to our kids, kids to do good to your parents, to do good to our boss and our employees and our coworkers, to do good to the neighbor that's a little bit prickly. Paul notes that when we read the scriptures, it's so that we will be prepared in and out of season, in every various kind of situation that we might do good. Not just be stoic, not just kind of absorb it, but to actively do good. And so this is kind of the question for us. Are the scriptures moving us towards good works? Are the scriptures not just being effective in us, correcting our thinking, our worldview, and our paradigm, but they're also being effective through us, helping us to do good to those around us? So when we read the Bible, we ought to read the Bible as exalted, the greatest book in human history. Nothing compares to it past, present, or future because it is God's very breath towards us. We ought to see God's word as effective in us, changing and shaping our worldview, and we ought to see God's word as effective through us, equipping us for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, we pause for a moment, kind of recognizing, um, even in this kind of service, the last 60 minutes, the scripture that was used for our call to worship, the scripture that was used in our confession, the, the mirrors and the echoes of scriptures and the songs that we've been singing, the, the scriptures that we've, we've taught from now, we recognize this service has been kind of flooded with scripture and we're thankful for your word to us in that way. That as we hear your word through song, through scripture, through confession, through catechism, that we might feel your breath on us, that you might correct us, adjust our orientation this morning to, to live, to think, to be rightly. And God, would you help us this morning through your spirit, through your word, to work through us. Your word be effective through us as you equip us to do good works to others. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.